Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Today we're starting a new message series called Getting to Know God. You know, when we try to explain God to ourselves and also to other people, we typically use metaphors to better describe or say who God is. We'll say things like uh, the big guy upstairs, meaning that uh, God is some all-powerful deity or that he is our, uh, a good father, one who uh, lays down his life for the benefit of, of the family. Or, or we say things like uh, God being our best friend who knows everything about us or, or that he is savior, the greatest superhero of all time. And, and while those can be helpful descriptions of who God is, uh, we also have to be aware that there are people who would say when, when you say God, I, I think of somebody who's distant or, or doesn't really care or, or somebody who causes division and war or somebody that cares for only some and not all. So the question for us in this message series that we're going to be looking at is, well, who is God? And this isn't a new question, but it's a really important question and one that's been uh, being asked or has been asked for a long time. If we go back to the second century, uh, these followers of Jesus, these Christians uh, got together and they wanted to address this question, who is God? How do we talk about this as a community of, of followers of Jesus, but also how do we share this with, with others around the world? And what they came up with was this statement called the Apostles' Creed. Now, a creed is, is simply a statement of what we believe, teach, and confess. And in the Apostles' Creed, this is the statement that, that the Christian church holds on to, that we believe it, we teach it, and we confess it. And we're saying, well, what's, what's an apostle? Maybe you know the, the apostles were the first 12 people who followed Jesus. They uh, were these ones who walked with Jesus. And it's kind of confusing because they actually aren't the authors of the Apostles' Creed. But instead, what the Apostles' Creed states is this teaching that God gave them, gave through the apostles in the Bible. So what the Apostles' Creed is teaching us is who God is and that in our baptism, when we are a part of his family, what does it mean to follow him? So we're going to look at this Apostles' Creed over the next three three weeks. And I want you to look at these first words that are said about who God is in the Apostles' Creed. It says this, that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? Why, why does this matter? Today, I want to look at two beautiful uh, but massive truths about what we believe, teach, and confess. That, and it's simply this. I want you to get this. That, that God is Father in these two words. That means that He is provider and preserver of everything in this world. 
What do we mean by provider? Well, Martin Luther wrote this in his explanation in, in the small catechism. He wrote this. When, when we say the statement that I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, what does that mean? It, it means that I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes and ears, and all members, my reason and all of my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. What we are stating in this first part of the creed is that everything that we can see with our eyes has come from creation. That our God created something out of nothing. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 says this, the first words of the Bible, that for this, or first this, God created the heavens and earth. All you see and don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless pit, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. This is from the message translation. And and what, what we're saying at the beginning of scripture, what it's saying in those first words is that God has put everything into motion. There was nothing and God, and then God spoke and something started to happen. Creation started to happen. This is a a head-exploding emoji moment. And this is massive and huge. Because we, as human beings, we get kind of the taste of of what it's like to create stuff. I mean, we build stuff. We we build homes, and and we build buildings, and we make clothes, or or we build resumes through reputations. But, But see, all of those things come from something. They come from creation, the thing that God has provided. Notice in Psalm 33, I'd love for you to read Psalm 33 multiple times this week. It's a beautiful psalm. The psalmist says this in verses 6 and 7, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By God's word, the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth, all of their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap, He puts the deeps in storehouses. See, God speaks and it does something. His words, and we would say even the words of the Bible, they they do something. They are powerful. They are not empty. But see, the battle is this. The battle for us is that who we are as people is, is we maybe like that, but we kind of want some power. We want some credit in the the creation of what is happening and going on around us. Notice that that we as human beings want power and credit. That's, That's part of our fallen nature. The psalmist in Psalm 33 continues in verses 16 and 17. He calls this out. He says, No king succeeds with with a big army alone. No warrior wins by brute strength. Horsepower is not the answer. No one gets by on muscle alone. See, the illusion of power and credit is dangerous for us. And and we need to push back that urge that is inside of all of us. How do we do that? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 33 says this, Good people cheer God. 
Right living people sound best when praising. Use guitars to reinforce your hallelujahs. Play his praise on a grand piano. Compose your own new song to him. Give a trumpet fanfare. See, how do we battle the urge of power and the want of of credit in our lives is that we should praise and we should thank our God. And and frankly, that's why we worship. Uh, That's why we have songs that you have been singing here online. That's why when you go to church, we we sing hymns and, and worship songs to our God. I mean, how weird would it be if we showed up to church and we just started singing about us and how great we are? We would be like, man, that doesn't feel right. Because, because we come to church, we, we come back to God knowing that God has given us and provided us with life and breath and all that we have. And so we say thank you back to Him. Thank you because you, God, are the provider Yet you're not only the provider in this world, you are also the preserver. Luther continues in his explanation on the first article in the Apostles' Creed. He says that God defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. See, not only does God provide in this world, but he also preserves as well. Look again, Psalm 33, verse 9. The psalmist says this, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded and stood firm. What the psalmist is saying is that what God has created is not some failed project. It's not something that, that he like put into motion, and now it's, it's, not, it's no longer lasting. It's better than anything that we have ever built. Have you ever thought about that before? The beauty of what what God has created in this world and how it continues to provide and persevere today. How God continues to persevere in our world and preserve all of the good and beauty of the creation that he has put into motion. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Last summer, uh, we had to replace our air conditioning at our house. And, and when the guy came over to replace the AC, he came and looked at this unit and it, it, was, it was old. In fact, it was 35 years old. And when he saw it, he was telling me, he was like, man, I haven't seen one of these this old. Yeah, man, I guess they just don't make them like they used to sort of thing. And, and, and while that was nice, I was like, yeah, we really got our money's worth on it. I, I guess like like we think like 35 years of something lasting is like, boy, it really held the, the test of time. See, in God's creation, it's really not all that long. I mean, think about, uh, think about creation. Think about how intricately God designed it from the beginning. How plants and vegetation have been around for thousands of years. And they've been created for specific climates and purposes. The detailed planning that went into creation, spoken in a simple breath. That's the kind of creation that God has put in the motion and that he sustains and preserves to this day, providing food and water and shade and beauty and oxygen and on and on and on. You see, God speaks, and it happens. And it's not that it just happened once, but he is still doing things in this world. He's preserving this world. If you look at Psalm 33, verse 9, it says, And it, being creation, stood firm. That, That word stood there is emphatic, meaning that it stood firm. 
meaning that it is still something that is happening and going on today. The fact that the world is still in motion is another witness of the goodness of our God and how he provides and preserves. But see, for us as human beings, we struggle to believe that God still preserves. <laughs> There's uh, the reason for that is because we, we want control. We, we want it on our own terms, not necessarily on how God is doing it. There's a story in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 5 of this guy named Naaman. Uh, Naaman was a great warrior, one who had won and, and led many battles. And, and, uh, and you get this kind of list, his resume, uh, you could say, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 of how great of a warrior he is. And at the end of all of these beautiful things and great things that Naaman has accomplished, it says that he had lepr leprosy. It's kind of an odd statement. It seems out of left field, but... But Naaman was not perfect. And so he had this sickness, this disease, and he wanted healing for that disease. And so he was told to go to the king of Israel and, and offer this gift. And then that king said, no, go to Elisha the prophet and he will bring you healing. And when Naaman shows up to Elisha, Elisha, instead of welcoming him into his place, he, he sends out a servant and he tells him to go and wash in the Jordan River. And look at these words in 2 Kings 5, verses 11 through 12. It says this, Naaman lost his temper. He spun around saying, I thought he'd personally come out and meet me, talking about Elisha, that he would call on the name of God, wave his hand over the disease spot, and get rid of the disease. What stands out to me in this verse is that, that we can resonate with, with Naaman's frustration, right? That when we get confronted of thinking that we know better or that we know best, we struggle with this. I mean, how can God be called a preserver when there's so much destruction and brokenness in this world? I mean, just turn on the news, look at social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is. We are confronted with all kinds of destruction, all kinds of problems and trouble in our world. And we struggle to see that, that, that God is really preserver in this world. See, what Naaman wanted is that he wanted healing, but he wanted it only on his terms, only the way that he thought that it should be provided. And boy, you and I are like that too. I mean, we want justice, but are we willing to forfeit some power for it? We want great services and education, but are we willing to pay more taxes for that? We want our kids to fold the clothes, <laughs> but are we willing to let them not fold them perfectly? See, we get confronted with this struggle all the time. Like Naaman, we want control over all things. And we are confronted with this urge of wanting to trust ourselves instead of trusting God. And what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, these last words are beautiful. Verses 20 through 22, he says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. See, how do we battle this urge to want control? Is that we continue to trust. 
We continue to obey. We continue to recognize and proclaim that God is good and that he is preserving this world. And so we obey and trust him. See, in a world where where things are messy, things are not going as they're supposed to. I mean, I could list off a bunch of stuff. COVID-19, war in the Holy Land, still oppression for people because of the color of their skin. Where do we look to? Do we look to ourselves and that, that we're the answer and the solution? No, what the psalmist is proclaiming is that our hope isn't in us, but our hope is in our God. And so we we look to Jesus, who the psalmist is ultimately pointing to. We look to Jesus as our hope, the one who has conquered sin, death, and the devil. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that he, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Our God is a God who not only provides and preserves, but he's one who takes on flesh, comes into this world, dies on the cross, and rises again from the dead which is exactly why I want you to be here next week. Because who is our God? We're going to be leaning into that second article talking specifically about Jesus and the beauty of who our God is. So today, I want you to know this. I hope that you would be reminded that that our God is provider, and that's a mind-blowing thing, that he has created all, yet he is also preserver. And that as we battle this urge for power, that it would move us more to praising our God. And that as we battle this urge for control and wanting it on our terms, that instead we would continue to look to our God, trust and obey him. It reminds me a little bit of of this hymn by a guy named William Billings called The Shepherd's Carol. I don't want to recite these words as we close here today. I think they're fitting for us to set us up for next week and as we learn more about who our God is. Hear these words. Seek not in courts nor palaces, nor royal curtain draw, but search the stable, see your God extended on the straw. Amen.